You will find the reading on page 1214. It's from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Page 1214. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Please uh, keep the passage open in front of you. So James chapter 2, starting at verse 14 there, page 1214. Good. Let me just get myself sorted out. Great. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray please now as we look into it, as we think about this passage, that you would help us to understand it and that you would help us to put it into practice, that we would not be those who just listen to your word, but that we would do it. Amen. Okay, according to the census data for 2021, what percentage of people in England and Wales said they were Christians. Now, just it would be interesting to know if anyone... You might have seen the figure when it happened. Anyone know? Anyone thought? Any guesses? You can guess. Go on then, Hesse. What do you think? 41%? Yeah, I mean, you're close. 46. There we go. 46.2%. So that means 
Just think about that in terms of um, your road, your workplace, uh, your family, friends. That's a little under half the country, isn't it, claiming to be Christians. If that's right, that that many people would claim, that means half of the people, just under half the people living in your street would say in the census, I'm a Christian. Or in your workplace or, or wherever else. Are they right? That's a large proportion. I mean, it, at the time, it was, it, the, the surprise was, or maybe it wasn't a surprise, but the, the, the headline was that less than half the country are Christians. Uh, because before that, it had always been higher than 50% who would say they're Christians. But is that right? Is that really right that half the country, just under, are actually Christians? Or not? Or is it possible that some of those people though claiming to be Christians, are actually not. Well, let's make it more personal to us. Is it possible that here, in the room, there could be some who would claim to be Christians, but aren't? It's a really important question, isn't it? Because according to the Bible, this is not merely a question of what you do on a Sunday. This is a question of eternal significance. So what we need to know is, what is real faith? What is it? And what's fake faith? What's false faith? Well, this is exactly what James is dealing with at the beginning of the passage. Just have a look at verse 14, would you? He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? He says, if there are people who will claim to have faith, claim to be Christians, those 46.2% of the population who, who say, yes, I'm a Christian, if they claim to be that, but don't have deeds, that is, that their life is not changed by that profession of faith, that they don't have behavior or actions that go with that profession of faith, that come from that, if they don't have those deeds, James is saying, what good is that? Will that faith save them on the judgment day? Will it save them? And the way James asks the question, the answer he's clearly expecting is no. It won't. James's big point in this passage is this. Real faith acts. Not acts as in pretends or gets up on a stage. I don't mean that kind of acting, of course. Real faith acts. Real faith does. That's his big point. And we're going to see in this passage, James then gives four illustrations, four uh, pictures, as it were, four illustrations of exactly this point. The first two are negative, in other words, saying uh, that false faith does nothing. And then the second two, the last two, are positive, saying real faith acts. Okay, so that's where we're heading. So the first one, false faith False faith, and you can follow this through on the back of the sheet, by the way, if you want to. False faith is all words but no help. False faith, all words but no help. 
See the first illustration he gives, verse uh, 15 to 16. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So, I mean, it's a pretty obvious illustration, isn't it? Pretty obvious example. Someone comes along, uh, a fellow Christian, and they are without the basics. They don't have what they need. They don't have the food. Uh, They don't have uh, adequate clothing. Uh, And you say to them lovely words. You you say words with nice sentiment. Uh, Go in peace. In fact, these are commands. Uh, Go in peace, be warm and well fed. And yet, don't lift a finger to help. No practical help at all. James asks, what good is that? And clearly we would answer, well, it's no good at all, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's obvious. That's no good. And then James drives home the point, doesn't he? Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, notice he is saying this kind of faith, a faith which is by itself, in other words, a faith which is all words, but no actual practical help for fellow Christians, is dead. How does this apply to us? Well, I think it's fairly obvious, isn't it, how to apply that. He's saying if we claim to be Christians but don't care about the needs of fellow believers, and in the passage it is fellow believers... It's it's not just care for any in need in this example, though of course there are plenty of passages in the Bible where you can look to them and say, actually, yes, we need to love our neighbours, whoever they are. But there is a priority in the Bible for fellow believers in particular. And he's saying if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to help, even though we could... And now I know that there are times and there are people where they go, actually, they would love to help, but they just can't do it. But that isn't what James is dealing with here. He's dealing with someone who could help, could give food, could give clothes, but chooses not to. He's saying, if that's us, well, that calls into question whether our faith is genuine or not, doesn't it? And persistently, consistently not being bothered by helping fellow Christians shows a dead faith. Which warns us, doesn't it, about mere attendance at church We can shield ourselves. We can do a clever thing. I mean, it's not that clever, but we can do a clever thing where we go, actually, I can shield myself from having to do this by never finding out whether anyone's in need. And that way, I never have to do this. If we never actually talk to others or pay attention to others' needs. Or we could think, well, that's for the pastoral care team. Or for home group leaders. Or or this is for others. No, this is for all of us, isn't it? Do we talk to one another, find out needs, and then try to help? Well, we're going to come back to this as an application, uh, because actually at the end you'll see that the last illustration comes back to this. So just hold that thought. The first point, false faith, all words but no help. Second, false faith, correct theology but no action. Again, you see the theme running through these is it doesn't actually do anything. But the second one is false faith is correct theology, but no action. James then deals with an imaginary objector. Verse 18, someone who says, you have faith, I have deeds. 
And the objection is that, that this person is suggesting uh, that we each have our own thing. I have faith, you have deeds, like saying, I'm good at sport, you're good at music or cookery or whatever it may be. We each have our own thing. I do this, you do that. I do faith, you do deeds. And that is to suggest that faith and deeds can be separated, that they can be different things, and one person can be good at one and one, another person good at the other. And James is making exactly the case that he is saying you cannot separate them out. That separation is false. Real faith acts. So he says, how can you show me? He says, show me your faith without deeds. Well, you can't do it, can you? How can you show me your faith without deeds, without you doing something? He says, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I could do that, he's saying. He's saying you can't separate them out. Faith and deeds have to go together. And then he gives a lovely illustration, a great illustration, to show that separating out faith from deeds is false. So he says, verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. He says demons are theologically orthodox, probably more theologically orthodox than many church leaders. That is, they know and agree with the truth with true things about God. They know and believe that there is one God. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, the first time that it is recognised that Jesus is the Son of God is when demons see Jesus, evil spirits see Jesus, and they proclaim it straight away. They blurt it out straight away that, here's, you know, this is the Son of God. They recognise him before any, other, any person does. They know the truth. They agree with the truth, but they shudder. They don't submit to it. And James is saying, you person who thinks that you have faith and don't need deeds, you are no different from demons, because they agree with everything you believe. They agree with it, but they shudder, because though they know the truth, they don't submit to it with action. So again, here's a warning for us, isn't it? Knowing the truth and agreeing with the truth doesn't mean we have real faith. Does that surprise you? You could imagine, couldn't you, uh, someone coming along, maybe coming to me or you know, coming to someone else, home group leader, someone else, and they say, how do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know? And you might think, oh, well, maybe, Bart, you, 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 you welcome them in and you sit them down and you say, well, let's go through some questions together. Maybe we've got a sheet of paper with some questions on, some, some basic questions about Christianity. So we go through and we say, well, do you believe, you person who wonders if you're a Christian, do you believe, uh, do you agree that there is one God? And they say, yeah, yes, I, I agree with that. Do you agree that uh, God is three persons, one God in three persons? Yeah, yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep, take that. Do you agree that Jesus died and rose again? Yep. Do you agree that Jesus will return one day? Yes. Do you agree that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. You go, oh, well, this is looking very good, isn't it? You go, well, yes, I, I think you probably are a Christian. And as they leave, then someone else comes in and you discover this is Derek the demon. And he comes in. I mean, it hasn't happened very frequently. But Derek the demon comes in, sits down, takes that exact same paper and ticks yes next to every single box. Yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. What do you conclude? 
Is the demon a Christian? No. Knowing the truth and even agreeing with the truth are very important. Oh, they are very important. But simply having them doesn't make someone a Christian. No, James is saying we can fool ourselves. Could that be us? It could, couldn't it? We make a big deal about truth. The word of God, what's right, what's wrong, what's right in God's word. We want to know, don't we? And there can be people, I've seen people, I'm sure you have too, people who've seemed very knowledgeable, very wise in Christian things and yet have fallen away maybe. Because actually it wasn't impacting daily life. It wasn't being lived out. It didn't make a difference. So those are the negative illustrations. False faith, all words but no help, or secondly, correct theology, but no action. So now we're going to get to the positive illustrations. And as we do, we find that the positive illustrations match the negative ones, but in reverse. Okay, so the, the first illustration was, uh, was about um, dealing with other people, with fellow believers, looking out for our fellow believers. The second one was about relating to God and knowing about God but not putting it into practice. Now, the positive ones flip that round. So we actually come back to um, relationship with God and putting that into practice. And then a little bit later we come back to looking out for fellow believers. But these are the positives. This is real faith. And what we see here in these illustrations is real faith acts. Real faith does things. And the first one is real faith acts to obey God's word. And you see that uh, with the example of Abraham. So verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? James is taking us back to Abraham. Abraham in the book of Genesis, way back at the beginning of the Bible, hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, James was writing this, uh, Abraham, the patriarch. He takes us back to Abraham, and you've got to imagine the scene. He takes us straight to the scene where Abraham is up on a mountain with his son Isaac, bound and on an altar in front of him. And Abraham has raised a knife to sacrifice his son. Now, you need a little bit of the backstory on this, don't you? Why have we got to this point of Abraham raising a knife to kill his son? I mean, this seems terrifying, doesn't it? Well, many years before this, many years before, before Isaac was born, God had promised to Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would have a son. But Abraham and his wife were elderly and they were childless. And yet the Lord said he would have a son and that that son would be the one through whom God would fulfill many promises to Abraham and to the world. And we're told in Genesis 15, when God declared this to Abraham, that he would have a son, uh, that Abraham believed God. And the quote is there on a, gen, from Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, years later, God kept his promise, and Abraham and Sarah had a son, Isaac. And then sometime later, years later, God said to Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, bring him to the mountain and sacrifice him. 
What an incredible thing for God to ask this uh, uh, Abraham to do. And Abraham obeyed. He took this son, this promised son, through whom God had said he would fulfill his promises to Abraham and to the world. And yet he was told, commanded by God to take that son to sacrifice him. So he did. Took him up the mountain, put him on the altar, and was ready to sacrifice him. Knife raised, and God stopped Abraham. Told him not to hurt the boy. Said to him, now I know you fear God. And God provided a ram for him to sacrifice in Isaac's place. So there you have, as it were, two incidents. God's promise to Abraham that he would have a son and, God, and Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then years later, up on the mountain, there's that act of, uh, of sacrificing his son, which God stopped him from doing. And James is saying both parts of the story are important and actually they relate to one another. His faith and his actions. In fact, he's saying, verse 22 you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So the two interact. He's saying they work together. His faith, as shown when he trusted God's promise, and his actions, taking Isaac up the mountain in obedience to God's command, they interact with one another, the faith and the work. And you see that it says that his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith was finished off, rounded off by this action. It was shown in practice. The faith leads to the action. The faith produces the action. The faith is completed by the action. Here, you see, is genuine faith, and you can see it by what Abraham did, that he trusted God. James puts it again, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Notice that it says, the scripture was fulfilled. When was the scripture fulfilled? So the scripture that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, he says that was fulfilled. When was it fulfilled? When Abraham put it into practice, when he actually went and did the action, trusting God and obeying his promises, obeying his commands. He said the two actions are connected. To try to give an illustration, maybe an inadequate one, but some have already been on holiday, others will will be going on holiday some may, may not have a holiday for for this summer but when you book your holiday you make that booking you make that commitment whenever it is earlier in the year you look forward to it but the fulfillment of that the completion of that the rounding off of it is of course actually going on the holiday if you don't go on the holiday that says something about your commitment at the start of booking that holiday doesn't it if you never actually go No, the the two things are connected, just as Abraham saying, actually, I trust God, and God saying, I credit that to you as righteousness, and then actually putting it into practice of obeying God when God makes his commands. He says the two are connected. They must happen. Deeds must happen. And it will happen in many different ways. And so he says, verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, at that point, some may be twitchy, because you've heard uh, it taught, and you've maybe read elsewhere in Paul's writing in the New Testament, that we are saved by faith alone. 
Paul says we are justified by faith and faith alone. After all, in Romans 3.28, if we go on to, that's it, uh, Romans 3.28 says this, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is Paul saying the way that you get right with God is to be, uh, to be, is by faith. Trust God, not by works. And yet James here seems to be saying, well is saying, that a person is considered righteous by what they do. Are the two contradicting each other? Well, we could talk about this more afterwards. I would say, no, they're not contradicting each other. Uh, And interestingly, they both use Abraham and the same bit in Genesis to make their point. How do we deal with this? Well, Paul is dealing with a different issue from James. Paul is dealing with a different issue. Paul is dealing with the issue that all are sinners and deserve judgment. All are sinners and deserve judgment, he says. And so how can we be made right with God? How can we get into a right relationship with God and be safe on judgment day? And his answer is faith, not works. You can't do anything to get yourself right with God. You must have faith. And James would agree, it is by faith that you are saved. And remember, go back to verse 14 in our passage. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Ah, James is agreeing here. He's saying it's faith that saves. He's talking about faith. It must be faith that saves. But James's point is, but what kind of faith? Do you see the difference? Paul is saying, how do you get right with God? He says, it's by faith. And James is saying, yes, but what is faith? What kind of faith? A faith that does nothing? No, it's got to be a faith that then transforms a person's life where you actually put it into practice. And Paul would agree. When Paul talked about taking the gospel to Gentiles, he talks about it like this in Romans chapter 1. He talks about it as calling them to the obedience that comes from faith. So for Paul, obedience goes with faith. Obedience comes from faith. Action has to come from faith. So, real faith acts. It must act. And we see it with Abraham. And quite specifically, uh, it, it is to be seen in acts of obedience to God's word. Let me give you a quote from Alec Matir. A Bible scholar wrote a book on James. Uh, we often quote from him. Uh, he says this a true, about this passage. A true faith produces results, and in particular, the costly and wholly trustful obedience to the word of God. So you ask the 46.2% of the population who said they were Christians, if they seek to obey God's word, and how would they respond? So you go to them, go to half your street, half your workplace, and you say, okay, if you claim to be a Christian, are you trying to obey God's word? And I suspect they will look at you with utter confusion. What are you talking about? No, of course I don't do that. Well, then it isn't real faith, is it? Not according to this, not according to the Bible, because real faith acts in obedience to God's word. Now, sadly, it's not just them out there 
Of course, we need to point the finger at ourselves and examine ourselves. Are we seeking to be obedient to God's word? We might agree with the whole, all of the creeds and all the things that we say on a Sunday morning, but actually, are we seeking to live it, to obey God's word? Now, we know Abraham didn't do it perfectly, don't we? you just got to read his life. And you see, there are many times where he doesn't trust God. We're not looking for perfection here. No, if you read Abraham's life and you saw that in every instance he perfectly trusted God and obeyed God's word, every time you should question his humanity. It's not real. We're still sinners. But, I think James is saying here, but if you examined Abraham's life, if you read it through and you saw there were no instances where he trusted God and obeyed God's command, you should question his faith. Well, that applies to us, doesn't it? Uh, James is not saying looking for perfection. He nowhere looks for perfection in, in Christians. But he is saying, is there evidence, is there something in your life where you look at that and you go, yet yeah, there, that is... Deeds produced by faith, coming from faith, completing faith. And not just that it's in the past, but are we keeping going with that? Not perfection, but seeking to put into practice God's word. And if we see the imperfections, see our disobediences, of course, we come back to God humbly, asking for forgiveness and asking him to change us. And sometimes being obedient to God's word means taking risks, doesn't it? It means being a visionary, seeing that God's word says that we need to proclaim the gospel to Berylands and beyond, and saying, how can we do that? What steps of faith are we going to take? What are we going to do? Caleb, we heard about on the day away. If you were on the day away, I won't go into Caleb in a great uh, big way, but that was such an encouragement on our day away to have teaching about how Caleb was one who trusted God, uh, even though the things around him would have looked like he shouldn't have trusted God, that uh, the obstacles just seemed so hard, so difficult. But he said, with God's help, we can do it. We can take the land. And that's what we need to do too, to be people of faith who put it into practice through obedience to God's word. Well, then we have the last illustration. Real faith acts to help fellow believers. We come to the fourth illustration. Remember, we said there was two and two, uh, and the last one matches the first one. So this is about helping fellow believers. And you see it there in verse 25. uh, A different example, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. A very different Old Testament character. Rahab lived in Jericho. God's people, the Israelites, were going to attack Jericho and take the city. She lived there. The Israelites sent spies into Jericho to check out the city. Uh, And she hid them and made sure they escaped the city safely. She'd heard about God and she put her, her lot in with God and God's people. And she said, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to protect those spies. A great risk to herself, Uh, she looked after them. 
Well, here's a contrast to the first illustration, isn't it? The first illustration was someone uh, who saw a need uh, in, uh, for, for fellow believers but just gave empty words. Here is Rahab putting into practice, actually doing something, protecting these, uh, these Israelites. And so the challenge is that real faith acts. We're back to that application again. Real faith acts for Christians in need. And there are many ways we can do that. In fact, we can be overwhelmed at times with the, the amount of needs there are just of Christians around the world. Uh, we can hear about them through various Christian charities, Christian organizations of suffering Christians around the world. And we can be so hit by that, so overwhelmed by it that we think, well, there's nothing we can do. Which is where I think it's very helpful for us then to think, well, okay, practically in our church family, what are the needs that we could meet? What about someone you talk to over coffee? Let's not let the scale of the need of Christians worldwide mean that we then end up doing nothing. And let me give you another quote from Alec Matir. I thought this was helpful for uh, putting this into practice in a local church family. He says, In many areas, the need among elderly brothers and sisters is not that they are ill-clad or unfed, but that they are lonely and long for a visit or an invitation out. Well, I think that's a, a really helpful uh, prompt for us, isn't it? Uh, that may not be true for all of those in, who are elderly in our church family, but that's going to be true for some. Can we find out that need and can we seek to meet that need? But there are going to be other needs, unseen needs. We need to talk to one another, find out what those needs are. So what is genuine faith? That's where we started, isn't it? What's genuine faith and what's false faith? Well, we've seen these four illustrations, haven't we? The two and the two, the negative and the positive. False faith does nothing for Christians in need and does nothing even if it knows the truth. But real faith acts in obedience to God's word and for Christians in need. And the encouragement from those last two illustrations, Abraham and Rahab, is that they are so utterly different. Here's a good final little challenge for us. They were so different. Abraham, the patriarch, a man uh, highly respected, uh, he put his faith into action. Rahab, a non-Israelite prostitute, she put faith into action. That great range is showing us that any of us can put faith into action. So will we? What do you need to do? What do you need to change as a result of what we've just Red. I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. Just a moment of quiet. What are we going to do? What do we need to change? Heavenly Father, we pray, please, that you would help us to be those who act, whose faith prompts deeds, that you would help us to uh, not merely know your word, but put it into practice, that we'd be obedient to your word, and that we would seek to love and care for fellow believers. Father, help us. Father, if there are those among us, those watching this online, maybe who who are realizing that they haven't actually been putting faith into practice. Pray, please, that they would uh, come back to you, 
And for those of us where we see our faith is weak or we, we've struggled, we've disobeyed in the past, Father, help us to come back to you humbly, seeking forgiveness. And pray that you would change us and help us to be people who put your word into practice, whose faith are seen in deeds. Amen.